The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is the third day of our uh, winter session, 1st of July 2019. And we, we left off in um, the book we're reading from, The Path to Bodhidharma, Teachings of Shodo Harada Roshi, where um, he had finished talking about um, entering through principle of Bodhidharma's teachings. Entering through principle um, basically means means kensho. And this word kensho means seeing into the nature. So seeing into our true self that is no self. And uh, now we're going to look at the other four kinds of entry um, which Bodhidharma calls uh, entering through practice or, or we could say through conduct. It starts out by, uh, list, by listing these four. The four parts of entering through practice listed by Bodhidharma include and encompass all others. The first is to know how to receive hatred and yet know also how to requite it. This is the practice of requiting animosity. The second is to follow our karma with acceptance and without resistance. This is the practice of accepting circumstances. The third is not to desire anything or wish for anything external. This is the practice of craving nothing. We wish for things outside ourselves because we are lonely and missing something within. But if we are truly fulfilled and taught within, we are not lonely in this way and need nothing else. The fourth part is the practice of accord with the Dharma. This means to live each minute of each day in accordance with the Dharma. So now we'll, we're going to um, looking at, at, at each one of these. First one is is um, practice of requiting animosity. Now I just I looked up this word requite just to to make sure I knew exactly what it means. And the definition is to give or do something in return for something given to you or done to you. I think the most common way that we hear this is unrequited love, in other, words, in other words, love that is not returned. So, so this teaching of Bodhidharma's is is 
about when we're on the receiving end of of ill will, when we're when we're mistreated or abused in some way, um, how do we respond? What do we what do we give back? And here's here's what Bodhidharma says. <clears throat> when experiencing suffering, a practitioner of the way should reflect. For innumerable eons, I have preferred the superficial to the fundamental, drifting through various states of existence, creating much animosity and hatred, bringing endless harm and discord. Though I have non done nothing wrong in this life, I am reaping the natural consequences of past offences, my evil karma. It is not meted out by some heavenly agency. I accept it patiently and with contentment, utterly without animosity or complaint. A sutra says, when you encounter suffering, do not be distressed. Why? Because your consciousness opens up to the fundamental. Cultivating this attitude, you are in, in accord with the principle, advancing on the path through the experience of animosity. This is called the practice of requiting animosity. When you encounter suffering, do not be distressed. Why? Because your consciousness opens up to the fundamental. This is perhaps one of the most um, valuable um, things we can learn in in practice is the the way in which suffering can be a friend. It all depends on on our how we approach it. The Buddha said that, that one gets an inclination towards the spiritual life because of the existence of suffering. This is, not, um, in, in Pali it's referred to as Dukupanisa Sada, or Shada. So, so just to understand that, that, that suffering is, is an essential aspect of the path, Shantideva, great Indian master, the Mahayana, he said, without suffering there is no renunciation. We're, we're generally um, kind of stick in the muds. Um, it's, it's often pretty unlikely that we, we will change unless we're unless we're pushed and suffering is often the thing that pushes us our own suffering or sometimes others Herman Hess said as soon as suffering becomes acute enough one goes forward 
It can be it can be a goad. So Shoda Harada says, we often think mistakenly now this is this is referring back to this um, uh, part of this quote when he talks about um, I have preferred the superficial to the fundamental drifting through various states of existence creating much animosity and hatred bringing endless harm and discord so here's what he says about this we often think mistakenly that we receive life in our first cry at birth. Uh, similarly, we we think that we we um, die when the body dies. Is um, this is uh, referred to in the Diamond Sutra as one of um, four delusions we have. Uh, the delusions of self, person, living being, and lifespan. So this is the delusion of lifespan that that Harada Roshi is referring to. So we think we receive life in our first cry at birth. This is an easy illusion, and one that occurs frequently. But if we look more closely, we can see it is not like this. We have not sprung from the earth and the rocks. We have come from the living bodies of our mother and father. Is our life separate from theirs? Of course not. Our life comes from theirs, and if we look back through time into the endless past, we find a connection to all of our ancestors, and even beyond that. More than four billion years ago, the earth was born. It is said that one million years ago or so, human life as we know it appeared on the earth. That means it took many millions of years for this very life to be given birth to. Our life, the life that we are expressing right now, did not easily appear in one moment. We did not come to be living here so simply, so coincidentally. Our life is part of a continuous line of hundreds of millions of years. We are at this history's present point, expressed at its fullest in this very moment. And that is only looking at from the point of view of the age of this earth. We could um, equally take the p point of view of the age of the, of the universe. Um, some 13.8 billion years old because we couldn't exist right now if it were not for the Big Bang, if it were not for this universe of air of ours um, blossoming into existence. Science teaches us about many life forms that existed before humans. Embryonically, we can see similarities between humans and amoebas, fish, birds, and all animals. In the months and days of pregnancy, this development of millions of years is condensed into a short period. This is one of the, the wonders of life that in our 
in our embryonic development, we reenact evolution. What were our ancestors, the birds, the fish, the amoebas, doing, doing during millions of years that passed before humans emerged on this planet? Were the strong eating the weak in order to survive? Probably we ate a good many living beings in order to bring about this life today. This is how we came to be present in this living form. And he's talking, he's talking here about this, this phrase of Bodhidharma's um, that, we, that we've created much animosity. From, from a karmic point of view to to um, be violent towards another being and you can't think of anything much more violent than, than eating another being, being creates animosity, it creates um, fear and anger in the victim and this, this doesn't just go away, it's, it's it, it, has a life that continues. Um, you could, could call it a, a karmic debt that through this, this um, um, eons of, of devouring and chasing and um, avoiding, trying to avoid violence, there's this load, this, this um, momentum in, in life that um, we have to address, we have to deal with it. Looking realistically at the history of mankind, we can see that simply to preserve our existence we have left so much to our instincts and because of that we have the civilization that is here today. Did we all do such good things? Of course not. Because we left everything to instinct there were wars and struggles. History teaches this clearly. You don't have to know too much about history to to appreciate that um, for, for large numbers of beings throughout time, um, life has been, been nasty, brutish and, th and short. Finally, 2,500 years ago, the Buddha's teaching came forth. 2,000 years ago came the teachings of Christ, Socrates and Confucius. At around the same time, they all appeared and finally offered a guiding light to humanity. Maybe there were glimpses before this, but no one carried them on. Look at the world today. We are constantly threatened by war. 
We have just become a little more clever, that's all. Our weapons a little more sophisticated. On this earth, this civilization that lets its instincts lead has taken many lives. We call ourselves the most highly developed culture now, but we also bear responsibility for the evil deeds of those lives of the past. Hate, ill will, wrongdoing, limitless mistaken behavior. Even if we can say we were not we have not done anything mistaken or evil in the years of this present body, compared to the higher entire history of human beings, this is a very short time. Even if we can say that we have not harmed or bothered anyone from the time of our birth to the present, that is, a, a, is relatively a very brief interval. Think it over carefully. In this world, when we experience our own suffering, we should look at it this way. And actually, can any of us um, say that, that we've not harmed or bothered anyone from the time of our birth to the present? Because we've all caused harm. Did we eat food, drive cars, buy consumer goods that, that uh, so often are uh, kept cheap by by exploitation. Even if we were vegetarian or vegan from, from birth, um, eating involves killing. As, as part of, of modern society, we are, it's almost impossible for us to avoid causing harm, whether it's through CO2 emissions or um, plastic waste filling our oceans, um, exploitation of, of workers, as, as I already mentioned. We're, we're embedded in uh, a, a great kind of machine of um, uh, devouring, of, of consuming, and of, of inequality, huge inequalities. And, and as members of a, of a rich country, we probably used more than our fair share of the wealth of this planet. And probably, well, we know uh, that per capita, New Zealand has very high greenhouse gas emissions. But um, Having, having painted this pretty dire picture of our, of our situation, um, we don't need to, it's not a matter of um, getting all guilty about it either, because that's, 
that's it's really that's really just a form of self preoccupation to to be part of this this um, world of aggression and devouring is our human condition. We all, although we can say this, this, this unfairness, we're all, we're really all in the same boat with this. Animals too. When we fall into evil doing and mistaken behaviour in society, we are called responsible and are blamed by others. But those who understand profoundly the deepest paths know that we have reached the true and solid character of human beings when we realise that we must throw away the stingy idea of not accepting our own behaviour. If we can see this, no matter what happens to us, we can accept it. We can say, even if people of society do not know, I do. We must clearly be able to say that we have understood where this responsibility lies and not just say it after justice has been decided by others. If we are truly clear in our state of mind, then we will let what has come be as it is. This attitude is identical in Christianity and Buddhism. So in Christianity, the teaching is turn the other cheek. And then, and then um, Harada Roshi tells a story. <laughs> oh. There are a couple of stories here. The first one is about about Master Hakuin, whose, whose chant we just did. In a house near the temple of Shoinji, in the town of Hara, where Master Hakuin Zenji lived, the daughter became pregnant. Her father was furious and demanded to know who the father of her baby was. Knowing that her father respected Hakuin and was always talking about him, she answered that Hakuin was the baby's father, hoping he would, this, this would keep her father quiet. The father became even angrier, shocked at this respected priest's behaviour. When the baby was born, he took it to Hakuin, yelling at him and accusing him. Knowing something was behind the father's behaviour, Hakuin accepted the child, saying, Is that so? Or prob probably in Japanese that this would have been, would have been, So desu ne. Ah. So he took the baby in, never defending himself. He had to find places for the baby to be nursed. When he would go on Takahatsu, his begging rounds, people would point at him and talk behind his back. He even wrote a letter to a disciple saying that the rumours had become so burdensome that he could no longer go outside. 
Finally, the young mother's mind became so weighed down with it, that she, with what she had done, that she confessed that the father of her child was in fact another neighborhood man and tried to apologize. Her father, even more furious at the shame she had brought on the family, went to Hakuin and apologized profusely, thinking of course that Hakuin would be very angry. But Hakuin only answered, is that so? So and then returned the baby. During that time, he never defended himself or accused others. It takes a truly great person of the way, like Hakuin, to be able to do something like this. Really, it really does take a great person to be, be free from needing to to justify himself, to defend himself. And it would have been highly shameful for, for uh, a monk to be accused of having fathered a child publicly. And no doubt, support for the temple would have would have um, dropped off considerably. When um, Furuna Sonja, a disciple of the Buddha, was going. Um, preparing to go far away to spread the Buddha's teaching, the Buddha asked him, where are you going? Where you are going, they have no culture. They will kick you and strike you and spit on your face. Is that okay with you? And uh, this, this um, Furuna Sonja um, is one of the, the ten of major disciples of the Buddha, Purna in, in Sanskrit. Or Purna Maitriyani Putra, its full name. So the Buddha asks them this question: Are you going to be okay with going somewhere where they may, they may abuse you, spit in your face? Purna said, "I think about it like this: Even if they hit me and kick me and spit on me, they will not take my life." Then the Buddha said, "They might even take your life. Is that still all right with you?" At that, his disciple said, At that time I will think like this. They are liberating me from my body, the physical source of my great suffering and grief. The Buddha said, Then go there. If you have confidence and resolution like this, like that, then there is no mistake. This is this is the 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 essence of this practice of of requiting animosity, requiting it by not requiting it by not um, taking vengeance. Radharaji quotes a poem by Ryokan. 
to meet disaster at the time of disaster is fine just as it is. To meet illness at the time of illness is fine just as it is. To meet death at the time of death is fine just as it is. There's, there's great freedom in this. To, to put down our worries. Our, our preoccupation with things being the way we'd like them to be. Disaster and illness, being alive every day and then dying, these are all passing varieties of scenery. Once we know their source and their transience, we will not be caught by them. We will be able to remain unmoved by pain and by pleasure. That clean, pure mind of Zazen shows us the way things truly are in society, in the world around us. It is all synchronicity. When we can live our everyday life in this way, knowing this is like Kensho. So if we, if we really can live out of the spirit, even if we haven't had a Kensho experience, then it is, it is as if we have. The sutras, t sutras teach us that when we receive others' revenge and suffer through torturous worlds, we should receive it all just as it is. And not only that, but make it into our foundation and live from that place and express ourselves from that great mind beyond all attachments. If we can accept the difficulties and use them in our own favour, not running away from them but following them, then we will certainly come to enlightenment. There is a story told about a large temple called Zuiganji in Sendai and about the person who became the first abbot there, Hoshun Kokushi. In the nearby area of Makabe, there was a castle, and in the castle, a servant by the name of Heshiro was responsible for taking care of the daimyo's geta, the lord's footwear. These are these wooden wooden clogs um, with raised pieces on the bottom, um, sort of like a like a um, wooden jandal. Gator. One night, Heshiro accompanied the daimyo as he went out for the evening. But when the daimyo reached his destination, Heshiro was not allowed to go inside with the daimyo because he was only a servant. It was a very cold night in Makabe. As was the custom, the daimyo left his shoes outside as he entered the building. Because he did not want to, the daimyo to have to put cold geta on his feet, Heshiro warmed the shoes in his coat. And then, just before the daimyo was about to leave, Heshiro returned the geta to the building's entrance. When the daimyo came out and found that his geta were warm, he was furious and accused Heshiro of having sat on them. 
And I guess the implication was that this, this servant's impure rare end had come into contact with the great daimyo's um, shoes. The daimyo was irate at Hishiro's kindness. Everything had gotten turned around. He was so furious, he threw the gator at Hishiro, who grabbed them and ran away. Hishiro went to Kyoto, where he remained enraged at his miserable situation, thinking only about what he could do to get back at the daimyo. They were both equal as human beings on this earth, so why should he have been put into such a miserable position? He decided to become ordained because that was the only way that he could get the daimyo to bow down to him. In those days, one had to go to China to become ordained, so Heshiro stayed away on a ship. When he arrived in China, he went to a zendo on Kinzan Mountain, but he could not understand a word that was said there, and he could not read either, because he was a servant. He had never learned any characters. And this um, troubled the, the Roshi at the, at the Zen center there, at the Zen temple, and um, he could see that Heshiro was a very enthusiastic student, very, very ardent, and he wanted to do something for him. So he drew a large circle on a piece of paper and put a J, the sound, the letter for the sound J in the middle, and asked Heshiro what it was. Heshiro did Zazen day and night trying to figure out what the circle and the J meant. He had been deeply injured by the daimyo's insults. You can say there's nothing worse than, than being unjustly accused and especially to be have th anger thrown at you when you were actually doing a kindness, um, being... Um, conscientious in, you, in um, his service to his master. So he was deeply injured. And so this, this injury became a, became a, a motivator for his, his training. He trained desperately. Maybe there was no meaning in that circle with a J in it, but through his deep efforts he reached enlightenment doing Zazen on this drawing. That one deep thought of anger and revenge at the daimyo brought him to his great awakening. This is, a, this is a, a, an important point. Even anger can be a point of entry into the way if it is, it is um, used skillfully. If it's, if it's if it's um, looked into fully. That one deep thought of anger and revenge at the daimyo brought him to his great understanding. Finally, he was able to drop it all, to lose all sense of inner and outer, his whole sense of self and other, earth and heavens, until, like a huge explosion, it all fell away. He could not understand the drawing, but everything around him appeared illumined. 
After that, he returned to Kyoto and to the temple of Myoshinji. Zuiganji, the temple in Sendai, which was near Makabe, had just been made into a, a dojo of the Myoshinji line, and Heshiro was sent there to establish it as his training monastery. A great ceremony was held in his honour as the new abbot. All the royalty lined up along the path to the entrance of the Hondo, it's the Dharma Hall, where Heshiro was to offer a poem expressing, expressing his understanding, as is customary at such times. The daimyo had forgotten Heshiro's face, of course, a mere servant, probably didn't really ever really look at him. The abbot's poem was about having climbed Mount Kinzan in China, having done many years of practice and finally realizing true understanding, and then coming down from Kinzan to this faraway place of training. It was about how our physical bodies are made up of the five elements of sadness and joy, so that if we look at them through awakened eyes, we need no property, no fame or great name. We can see that they have no meaning and rise out of emptiness. He concluded by saying that now the Buddha nature had returned to open this new dojo and bring sentient beings to enlightenment. Now after the reading of the poem, it was the time for the, the royalty, the, the aristocrats, to come forward and do prostrations to the new abbot, Heshiro. Heshu was now the daimyo's, officially the daimyo's teacher. Heshu laid out grass on a tall tray, and on the same tray carefully laid out those very same gaita that the daimyo had thrown at him. The daimyo entered, but he still did not understand what had happened. Then, contrary to tradition, the new abbot came down off his cushion and bowed to the daimyo, saying that although the daimyo had probably forgotten who he was, he, who was formerly Heshiro, had not been able to forget him. Then he described the incidents of the gaita in detail and told the daimyo that these same gaita were on the tray before him. He told how he had trained with all his energy just so he could get the daimyo to bow to him. But when he thought about it carefully, it was thanks to the daimyo's anger that he had gone into training at all. If it had not been for that, he would have remained the daimyo's servant for the rest of his life. If the daimyo had not been furious at him, he would never have become abbot that day. So he bowed in thanks to the daimyo. And the daimyo, of course, was astonished at hearing all of this. Harada Roshi comments that in, in society, justice is of great importance. Today, we have courts for that reason. We have to pay our debts. In society, this is a matter of course. But we must ask if this is the only way. In other words, for, the, for society to function, we need um, to try and 
and um, establish a system of justice um, and, and uphold it. This is this is this is um, establishing, you could say, healthy collective patterns. You have to do this. If we don't do this, then then um, we just create many, many unpaid karmic debts, and this is very unhealthy. Society falls apart. But there's also a deeper dimension, and this is the one that this story is pointing to. We must ask if this 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 the system of, of justice, right and wrong, is um, the only way. Harada Roshi says, how can we make up for our own mistakes? We have courts to settle disputes, yet still there are fights and still we have wars. In society that is considered normal, but is it right to take people's lives for the sake of justice? Is that the best possible solution, the only possible solution? I think he's talking here about, he could be talking about capital punishment, but also the the millions of lives that are, that are taken in wars. We have this situation right now um, in uh, between Iran and the United States where, where things escalate and then people feel they can't back down. This is the danger that, that justice must be had. You did this, so I'm going to do that. And he goes, upper grade and then upper grade and then we, we, we fall into wars that can go on for decades. There is another way. If we follow the way of Zen, first we become Buddhists and then we awaken not only ourselves but all others. The, show, the Buddha showed us this by his example. In his own life, before his very eyes, he saw his parents die and his country fall into ruin. Um, his mother died one week after his birth. And um, this one Zen teacher, uh, David Brazier, who's also a psychologist, who, who points to this as as um, probably the most formative experience of the, of the Buddha's life, losing his mother and the, the deep um, effect this had on him and his whole, his whole journey of, of, of spiritual search, searching. Later, he, 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 he of course was witness to his father dying and then, and also of of um, his home, his country um, falling in war to a larger um, uh, kingdom. The Buddha saw through all of this. He saw that the actual truth could not be destroyed, that it was not a matter of winning or losing or of being happy for one brief period of time. Buddhism is the way that teaches us this eternal truth. This way is not a transient way, 
It is the ultimate resolution, not a temporary one. We must heed the teachings of this way. <coughs> so when we, when we experience the sharp pain of loss, that we, we are moved to seek what is beyond it, what can't be lost can't be lost, it can't be grasped. No matter how long we take various roundabout paths in our lives, at some point we must realize our Buddha nature. For this we have been walking always with all of civilization. In the ultimate world we will all be in this way of Zen. Why not do it right now instead of waiting until tomorrow and starting over from the beginning? The teachings of the Buddha and of Bodhidharma are all for this, for doing it now, right away. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to return. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.com dot org dot nz